0: All right, so we're closing out our series on Seven Deadly Sins. And so tonight... Wait, you're muted. You're muted. Um, There we go. There you go. Uh, yeah, so we're closing out on Seven Deadly Sins. And tonight we're looking at gluttony. And to do that, if you want to follow along, we're looking at Mark 2, verses 15 to 20. Um, and here's what Mark wrote. He said, and as he reclined, talking about Levi... Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, to Jesus, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Let me pray for us again, and then I want to dive into, uh, talking about gluttony, but I want to think about it from the lens of fasting and feasting but let's pray first and we'll dive into it. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you it is a lamp into our, our feet. It is a light into our path. Uh, Lord, we thank you that we don't have to guess what it is that you're like, that you have revealed yourself in your word and most beautifully and perfectly, Father, through your son Jesus. So Father, as as we come to think about before Thanksgiving, our relationship with um good gifts of your creation, like food and so many gifts that make our lives um, joyful and full, would you help us uh, think about our relationship to those gifts in light of our relationship to you? Lord, we need your grace. We need your help. We need you to be the one who convicts and comforts, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So that's the way I want to do it. Uh, three things as always. Uh, first, I want to talk about two important concepts. Uh, second, I want to talk about how we get them wrong. And then lastly, how Jesus gets them right. So first, two important concepts, and I already mentioned them. The two concepts in this passage and really throughout Scripture are fasting and feasting or feasting and fasting that we have to get. If we understand what it means to do life with Jesus, we have to understand how these things are really core to the Christian life. And let's we'll start with feasting. And here's the basic point that feasting, what it means to be a Christian is that the our life with the Lord is a joyful feast. Here's what I mean by that. David in the Psalms says it really well in Psalm four, he says of of the Lord, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Um, if you know me at all, you know that I love food and I grew up in a family that taught me to love food. And so I was thinking about Thanksgiving is is next to Christmas, my favorite holiday because of food. And I was thinking about the way I grew up. It's pretty amazing to me. So on my mom's side, my my grandmother, uh, my mom's mom, was the most amazing cook I've known. But every Thanksgiving, we would do two things every year, every time. Wednesday night would be what we would call a pig picking. My grandfather would drive to King Street, South Carolina, and bring back a whole pig, and we would just feast on this pig Wednesday night. Then we would go home, go to sleep, wake up, go back to their house, and have like a full-on spread of the most delicious Southern Thanksgiving food. And when I was thinking about that, this is a, it's a picture for me, it's a picture for us. I don't know what your favorite Thanksgiving you know, sides are or, or, or mains are, but the Christian life is a feast. It's a feast of a spread of the grace of God to us in Christ. We feast on the forgiveness we have found in Christ. We feast on the community he has given us with each other Uh, We feast on his word and we hide it in our hearts. We feast on the righteousness of Jesus that is now ours by faith. We feast on the grace of God, the forever love of God that has been given to us and secured to us forever in Christ. And we feast too. We're not purely spiritual beings. We feast too on the good gifts of his creation to his glory uh, I grew up Anglican, and when we would uh, do communion every week, that's what our priest would say, Christ, our Passover, let us keep the feast. To be a Christian means you know how to keep the feast, feasting on the grace of God, but also feasting on the good gifts of his creation. I love the way that G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite writers, he says it like this, thinking about it's not just food that we feast on, we feast on all of the gifts that God has given us in this world. Here's how he said it. He said, you say grace before meals, all right, But I say grace before the concert, and grace before sketching, and grace before painting, grace before the play and pantomime or movies, grace before I open a book, grace before painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing, and grace before I dip the pen in the ink. Life with Jesus is a feast of joy. And that's what's so interesting about Mark 2, is Jesus so feasted, with the sinners and tax collectors that the stuffiest religious leaders of his day literally accused him of being a drunkard and a glutton. And we know Jesus, he was perfect, he was sinless, he was neither of those things, but his life was so marked by feasting, feasting with people who, quote-unquote, didn't deserve to be feasted with, that he was accused of being those things. And so that's the first question for you and for me, is, is our life marked by feasting? Do we ever throw great parties with great joy and and, and invite all kinds of friends and people into it because we still can't get over and believe that God could love and delight in someone like you or me? But it's not just feasting. It's also fasting. And this is the the two things we have to hold in tension, fasting, that life with the Lord isn't just a joyful feast, but life with the Lord also is an invitation to die to ourselves and to deny ourselves and to let go, intentionally let go and take breaks from anything that, that interferes with our joy in Jesus. Um, and I think to be clear on this, Jesus is very pro-fasting. He himself fasted often. He once told his disciples who were starving and so hungry that his bread was to do the will of God. Um, but it, and it means, you know, Jesus says, and then another point in the gospel is when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast, uh, don't do it you know, like the Pharisees where you make a big ordeal of it. Do it, wash your face, carry on normally. But fasting is something that, that usually in my corner of the world we don't talk a ton about. Um, but I think we need to wrestle with it because it means it's incredibly, incredibly appropriate for us to fast, and here's the point, from anything that dulls our hunger and our desire for Jesus. Anything that gets in the way or dulls or distracts our love for Christ. Fasting is not punitive. It's not like we're doing this thing where we're punishing ourselves. And I think in our culture, that's typically how we think about it. Like we think about, I just had uh, way too many calories. I just had way too much fast food. I just had way too much at Thanksgiving dinner. Maybe I need to fast. And that's not what biblical fasting is. Biblical fasting certainly has to do with food, but it's not punitive, and it has so much more in a positive way to do with what gets in the way of our relationship with Jesus. Another way to say it is that fasting is taking a break from anything that takes my eyes off of Jesus, that dulls my love for him, that keeps my eyes too much on myself, that keeps me distracted by things that don't ultimately matter, that makes me lose self-control, that has too much say or power in my life, or that I too often feel like I can't live without. Fasting is saying, Jesus, if I have you, I have everything. And if I have everything but don't have you, I have nothing. And that's why Jesus tells these Pharisees that there's a day coming when his disciples will fast. Their critique is, why aren't they fasting now? And he says, because I'm here, because I'm with them. This is a feast. My life on earth with them is a feast. But there's a day coming where they will fast, because there's a day coming after my ascension where my disciples will be left wondering, where, where is he? What is he doing? What is he up to in my life? And they're waiting. They're waiting on him, waiting either on their return to him or waiting on his return to them. Uh, there's a way of fasting that has nothing to do with Jesus. It's just to make yourself feel better about yourself. But there is a way of fasting that is in keeping with repentance, that says, Lord, forgive me, this thing means too much to me to the point where it's coming between us. Help me to lay it down for a season that I might fix my eyes on you and grow in my love for you and see how great my need is for you, that I can't, I can live without these things, but I can't live without you. I like the way that John Piper says it. He says like this, he says, food is good. Let there be no mistake about it. We are not ascetics in that we deny the goodness of God's creation. Food is good. It is a gift of God, and we glorify God with it in two ways, not just one way. We feast on it with gratitude for God's goodness, and we forfeit food, and we can add so many other things that we might need to take breaks from out of hunger for God himself. Fasting, listen to what he says, fasting is a way of saying with our stomach and our whole body how much we need and want and trust Jesus. So feasting and fasting, to be a Christian, we have to wrestle with these things, (laughs) but I want you to look with me for a second about how we get them so wrong, and here's how we get them wrong. We feast when we should fast, and we fast when we should feast. So first, we feast when we should fast, and what I mean is we fall more in love with the gifts of God than with God himself, in other words, we're so enamored with the good gifts God gives us in food and drink and music and TV and sports and arts and money and relationships that we never even consider how they might be taking our eyes off of Jesus. In fact, what we typically do is we cling to them, we binge, we need more and more, instead of even slowing down for a moment to ask the Lord, Should I might should I maybe should I should I take a break from this for the good of my soul and that my eyes might be more fixed on you, Lord? Has this become too much, too important to me? Um, I always think about this, this is probably after your time, but there's a character in Austin Powers called Fat Bastard, and he's a a large man. And Fat Bastard, he's got one one of these lines that I always, when I saw it, I was like, this is funny, but also it hits me in the feels, it's too real. He says, you know, there's that line he says where he says, I eat because I'm unhappy, and I'm unhappy because I eat. Uh, Feasting becomes problematic when we use it to numb, to escape, and to not deal with the very things the Lord is gently and patiently inviting us to deal with. This happened to me just last week. So my, one of my patterns is uh, when I'm in a hard place or when I'm feeling sad, I think about McDonald's. Uh, the new twist, though, is often there's been often a time over the pandemic where my friend has become Postmates, uh, I signed up for Unlimited. I have tested the limits of Postmates Unlimited. and But the new wrinkle is, uh, but at the same time, about maybe a month ago, Alyssa, my wife, got a ring doorbell. So anytime anyone shows up at our door, she gets a little notification. And not only that, uh, but she can also kind of replay the footage from overnight. And so there's this moment where I wake up and she's like looking at the footage. And she's like, who was at our door at midnight? And she's like, oh, it was Sammy getting McDonald's. That was a point for me where my feasting is not really feasting. I'm not really dealing with uh, the things that Jesus wants me to deal with. I'm using good things. McDonald's is a beautiful, good thing, but I'm using it in that moment in problematic ways. I'm using it to numb, to escape. So we feast when we should fast, but second, we fast when we should feast. And this is exactly Jesus' rebuke to the people who said, John's disciples, people came up to him and said, John's disciples are fasting. The Pharisees are fasting. Why aren't your disciples fasting, Jesus? And he gives this really powerful and, I think, poignant illustration. It's pretty brilliant. He says essentially this. Do people fast at a wedding? Um, I'm assuming at this point in your life you've been to a wedding and you know the answers. Of course not. That, that, that's the time. A wedding is the time for all the best food, all the best drink, all the best music, all the best dancing, all the best feasting. Why? Because a wedding is so momentous. It is so life-defining that it calls to be celebrated by the very best of things. And Jesus says that's exactly what life with me is like. It's so momentous. It's so life-determining that it is to be celebrated joyfully. We are to drink and get drunk on the love of God shown to us in Christ, our great bridegroom. And here's what this means. This means that a miserable, cold, overly serious Christian— is a complete oxymoron. Of all people, we, Christians, should be the most marked by parties, great meals, good drink, deep belly laughter, dancing even if you're like me and bad bad at it. Because the Christian life starts with the greatest wedding the world has ever known, Christ and his church, and it ends, is going to end, with the greatest party the world has ever seen, the marriage supper of the land that goes on forever. And here's the reality is we all know people who are good at fasting in the sense that they're so disciplined in everything they do that they make you feel like you're the laziest person in the world. And we also know people who are so good at feasting because there's so much fun in everything they do that they make you feel like the most boring person in the world. But what I want you to see is that to belong to Jesus means you're someone who's growing in both whose life is marked by the surprises of what you're willing to fast from and also the surprise of how willing you are to feast with those around you. This is our witness to the world, truly. Our witness to the world is that we fast because we have found someone who is worth giving up everything for and we feast because we have found someone who has given up everything to be with us. Uh, So recently we've been watching through, I'm all in on The Crown. I don't know if y'all are The Crown fans or not we're all in on season four, which is about the royal family in, in, in um the United Kingdom. And if you know season four, season four is, four is the Charles and Diana season. And I'm getting, Alyssa, my wife, is like a big royals person, so she knows all about Diana's life, but I'm, I'm learning constantly because I don't know much. But there's this scene in season four where Diana, you can tell she's really struggling with an eating disorder. And there's this really powerful scene where she's living, uh, Prince Charles is in Australia, but she's living in the house, they're not yet married, but she, you can feel her wrestling with loneliness. She's wrestling with where do I fit? I'm just a normal girl trying to be the, a princess. And there's this powerful scene where you watch her go into the royal kitchen and she opens the fridge and there's these just the most delicious, I'm not even a sweets person, but like the most delicious baked goods you've ever seen. And she just gorges herself. And then you can watch that moment. The, the actual episode has a little, you know, a little disclaimer at the beginning that if you struggle with these things, this might be a hard episode for you. And here, but then you watch her go into the bathroom, and you watch her, you know, throw up everything that she's just eaten. And what's powerful is you know you are watching her struggle and loneliness and shame with binging and and purging. And it's this powerful theme because she has everything that we might want, and yet she's not. She's missing something. She's missing. We know Jesus who invites us not into a life of binging and purging but of fasting and feasting because we have found someone worth fasting for and we have found someone so willing to feast with us that it brings deep joy and change in our lives. And that's the last thing I want you to see is how Jesus gets them right. Uh, His life, if you know the life of Jesus, is marked by fasting. He goes into the desert and fasts for 40 days and nights and he resists the temptations of Satan himself for comfort, glory, and power but his life is also, if you've ever read the Gospels, marked by deep feasting. Again, he so often sits down at parties with tax collectors and sinners, is so interested in them, is so joyful with them, and so enjoys the gifts of creation with them that he's accused, again, of being a glutton and a drunkard. But then there's this interesting thing in the life of Jesus where he's at the end of the Last Supper, that last supper he has with his friends. If you know that scene in the upper room, and he's doing this beautiful thing where he's He's essentially telling them what his life and death is all about. He's the lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. And then he says something, I led communion at our church a few weeks ago, and it really stood out to me. I've never really, really wrestled with it before, but he says something fascinating. He says this, I tell you, I will not drink again. He's drinking wine with his friends. They're feasting. And then he says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. What is so beautiful about Jesus is that all of his fasting and all of his feasting is for you and for me. In his fasting, he renounces anything that might become might come between his saving us from our sins and what they deserve. And in his feasting, he announces that he has come for sinners like you and me, those who know their need of a doctor, those who know their need of a Savior, to restore us with great joy and laughter to life with his Father, our Creator. In his fasting, we see his love for us because he was willing to give up literally everything his life included just to restore us, to bring us back to life with God, our Maker. But in his feasting, we see his love for us that says, I know all that you've done, and I want you at my table. In his fasting, he literally dies of thirst on the cross when he cries out, I thirst, and they mock him with vinegar wine. But he thirsts on the cross. He thirsts in fasting that we might never thirst again. We have a fountain of grace open up to us in him, in his death, and in his feasting even now. This is beautiful to think about, especially in pandemic times where we long to be together. In his feasting, even now, he is setting the table for what the book of Revelation calls the great marriage supper of the Lamb, where we will feast forever with him. Um, I'll close with this. There's a, a movie in the 80s. It's a pretty powerful movie. It's called Babette's Feast. And it's fascinating. It's the story of these two really stuffy, cold, kind of miserable Protestant nuns and it's set somewhere, I can't remember where it's set, but all of a sudden they're grown older, they're bitter, they're crusty, but then this gift of a person in Babette comes to them. She's from Paris, she's kind of owned hard luck, she ends up with them and she says, I don't have any money, I can't get back to Paris, but I would love, I, I'm, I'm trained to be a chef, I would love just to be your cook and I can take these simple meals, these miserable meals and try to make them a little bit better. The surprise of the story is Babette, the one thing that she keeps from her life in Paris she has a friend who every year renews a lottery ticket and lo and behold, she wins the lottery 10,000 francs, which I don't know what that equals in American dollars, a lot of money. And she keeps it to herself and she just approaches these nuns who are her friends now. And she says, if you would let me, I would like to really cook this proper, amazing, extravagant French dinner for you and 10 other friends. And so, what Babette does is the story as it goes is she spends every single penny of that lottery ticket on making this the most amazing meal that these people have ever known. And what's amazing in the movie is you watch them and they've never tasted, they've never eaten these amazing gifts of these beautiful gifts from this incredible chef, Babette. And what you watch happen. Is this woman give everything? She saves everything to give everything to feast with them, and it really does begin to change their lives and the life of the town. They've never—they're blown away at this extravagant gift. And what I want you to see is that is exactly what Jesus is inviting us into by the gospel tonight. Is that he fasts and gives everything, his life included, that he might feast with someone like you and me, who aren't—we're not worthy to be at his table, but he wants us at his table because he so loves and delights and wants to make us whole that we are welcomed and forever changed by the feast that Jesus throws for you and me. Just a couple practical things as you think about heading home for Thanksgiving. Just four quick practical things, and then we're done. Here's the first, just four questions for us. Here's the first. Where do you need to feast with Jesus and maybe some friends to celebrate his work in your life, the ways that you've grown, even small ways, the places the Lord has shown great mercy and great kindness to you? What is worth, big or small, feasting and celebrating uh, with Jesus and with friends? And then two, where do you need to fast with Jesus from something that might be overtaking your life, that might be becoming too important or too distracting from what really matters in terms of life with Him and His kingdom? And then three, where do you need to feast with others to celebrate God's work in their lives and the ways that maybe they're a gift to you in your life? What would it look like to feast, to throw a party for them, to throw a dinner for them, just to take to take them to do something celebratory? And then the last thing is, where might you need to fast for the sake of others, to recommit yourself to what it means to love and serve them and care for them in ways that require us to deny ourselves that we might be a blessing to them? Let me pray for us, and then we're, we'll wrap up. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for... Um, the life you have given us, the grace you have given us in Jesus, your Son. Lord, we thank you that even now uh, we we await the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we will feast with him forever and with you forever and with each other forever. Would you uh, let us have that hold on, be anchored in that hope? And Lord, would you too, in your grace, and your kindness, show us the things that we might need right now in our moment in life to fast from, whether it's something like social media, whether it's something like toxic relationships, where it's something that may be a, a, an addictive relationship in our lives, would you, would you be, by your grace, uh, convict us? But Lord, we know that there's such a difference between conviction and repentance than condemnation and shame. So Lord, would you meet us in that beautiful gift of conviction and repentance, that we might be those who feast and fast and be a beautiful witness uh, to the world around us. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. Cool. Thank you guys. Hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving and um, be safe out there and we'll see you soon.